Hi, I'm Frances Liliana, and this is The Dallas Type, an interview series where we celebrate the different personalities you'll find in the Dallas creative community. And it's also an attempt to see if there's anything that we might identify as a unifying element between all the creatives I've asked to participate. So, in regards to creatives here in North Texas, is there a Dallas Type? Today's chat is brought to you by the letter F. Hello. Hello. Hi, it's Jim. Hi. <laughs> Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I thought you'd have a more um, complex hello. <laughs> oh, no, I just, well, I knew you were coming, so let's do away with the formalities. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Great, let's get started. Yeah, I looked at the list of questions and I thought, holy cow. Um, and some of these are just really thought-provoking, like, um, oh my gosh, what... What are what would five words be to describe me? So it's like, and you know, it's it's. I was thinking, oh god, it, it was like I would spend I spent like a lot of time on it thinking, well, what do I say? So um, I thought, you know what, I'm just I'm just gonna go with it. I've got the questions. I've got like some. I'm I'm, I'm ready to go. You have an idea of it, but don't be oh, yeah. too prepared. No, it's fine. I'm, I'm not too prepared. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm I'm ready to go. Awesome. So first things first, thanks for um, taking part in, uh, in in this conversation with me and Dallas Type. What is your full name, your position, and your company, or, or you know, what do you what do you do? Okay, um, I am Jim Ferranda. I'm a voice actor and a freelance creative director slash copywriter. If you had a superpower or alter ego, what would it be? I would like to be able to teleport myself and other objects and people. I could visit family. I could uh, visit places overseas. And let's say if I was, you know that split second right before you accidentally hit a car, say like I accidentally rear-ended a truck when I was trying to get on the non-ramp, I would just teleport, teleport the whole car and everything into my driveway. <laughs> I avoided an accident. Your car. So you'd be able yeah. to, so when you say... Well, Teleporting when, things, would you do things by themselves or like you and things? Oh, um, well, let's just say um, I could teleport things on their own. So let's say, oh, there's, um, here's, here's, the, here's the let's save the world. Here's the let's save the world scenario. Oh, there's a missile headed towards the, the base. And then I would basically just teleport the missile out into like the sun or something. See? And then that, everybody would be okay. I would actually have to touch the missile because that would be kind of like um that'd be a moot point because I would be dead. <laughs> so there's at least some, like some, there's a little bit of realism in that superpower because it's not like you can actually just make it disappear. Yeah, I guess that's, that's the writer in me. It's like, you know, everything has a story or a reason for it. Um, it's one of the reasons why After Lost was over and I found out how they wrote the TV show. I was thinking, you know, all this stuff is just made up and there's no no purpose to it. You know, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There has to be some kind of sense. So there is like that. There's somebody on uh, the new, the new heroes that does that. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's interesting. For example, um, the first run of Heroes, they had planned a full five-year story arc, but uh -huh. then I guess when ratings started to slide, NBC said, "Hey, you writer team, you're all fired, and we're bringing in a whole new group of people." And so. Um, and they just took the story off in a completely different direction. So everything that had been established in the story was just kind of like yanked away and where does it go now? It, you know, it's um, case in point. The, uh, the TV show Fringe uh -huh. actually followed that and it actually got a chance to play itself out. So things that happened in season one 
would come up in season four, and there was a purpose behind it. There was no, hey, let's put some polar bears on the island. Why? Well, I don't know. The next writers can figure that out. I mean, that it's when I found out how Lost was made, I thought, oh gosh, that's awful. Because part of the, <laughs> part of, you know, part of the reasons about you know stories when you hear them or you or you um, or you watch them is thinking about where are they going to go, what's going to happen. But like the new Star Wars movie, and I'm not going to give away any spoilers, even though when this podcast goes up, I'm sure people will have seen it by then. But when you're thinking everything that's been established in this new movie, and there's there's a cliffhanger, kind of it's not really a cliffhanger, but what happens at the end? That's for everybody. Well, that's that's conjecture. They, they definitely have a plan for it. They're not going to just let the next writers figure it out because then mm-hmm. it kind of you know it, it loses the purpose of that part of the story. Right. So how would you describe what your day job is? Well, um, this is the kind of this is the what you tell your your parents and grandparents. I talk into microphones and I sell things, announce things, and make characters come to life. And those characters also sometimes die. <laughs> So do you do most voice over work for stories or for kind of commercial work? Uh, I do both. I have I have a um, uh, a running gig that I do weekly, um, Mm -hmm. selling things, and I also do a lot of I also do a lot of cartoon and video game voice acting. Okay, and these these are, are characters that sometimes die. Yes, characters that sometimes die. In a video game, you're, the characters, of course, they die because that's what happens in games. But then, you know, you get plenty of extra lives. But, um, oh, yeah, death lines are always the most fun. <laughs> <laughs> so what got you into into the field, and into both of these fields, actually? Well, um, when I was a kid, I originally wanted to go into film. But there's this practical part of me. When, when I was actually in school, I went to, uh, I went to Central Florida. I was in a film program. There were some people I knew that had graduated ahead of me, and they they they, they didn't go anywhere. And I was just immediately concerned. Oh my gosh, I'm only going to be able to find work when I when I graduate. So I went into something else I was interested. In. I went into advertising. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I was interested in advertising, and this is really strange, but when I was a kid, there was this documentary on HBO. It was this thing that kids could watch and learn how advertising can trick you. That's how I learned that, ooh, that's not ice cream in the soft commercial. It's shortening and sugar mixed together so it doesn't melt on camera. And when I was a kid, that fascinated me. It was like, <laughs> it was like special effects that weren't spaceships, but but pretend ice cream, that type of thing. And, um, you know, that kind of interest stuck with me. And so I, I changed majors in school and I went into advertising, and that's how I got into that. Now, voice acting, um, I should say that I wrote for Hasbro Toys for several years. And one year, we were working on a G.I. Joe campaign, and there was a slight budget miscalculation. We originally had all union talent lined up. For example, the, uh, the character Duke was originally voiced by Mark Hamill. But then we realized that the, the budget, it would have eaten into the media budget, and we had to do this quick recasting. So it was, hey, everybody in the agency – Go into the booth and read for these characters, and we'll just send them blindly to Hasbro, and they'll cast themselves. So I was cast as five characters in in, in one campaign. Uh, I just I was able to make myself sound different, and so that went on to kind of become like a secondary thing in my job. I would you know concept and write a commercial, and then oh by the way, can you be off in the spine for this? And so that's what I would do. And our mm-hmm. producer said, 
you should really put a reel together. You could get paid for doing this. And I thought, okay. And that's what I did. <laughs> and I, I, uh, I submitted my reel to the Mary Collins Agency, and they, they started representing me. And I've been working uh, through them ever since. What would you say is the percentage of work that you do as a writer and percentage that you do as a as a voice actor? I'd say now it's it's kind of flip flopped. I used to be eighty percent advertising, twenty percent voice, and now I'm eighty percent voice and and twenty percent freelance uh, freelance advertising. Can you live off of that? Yes, yes, uh, you can. It's let's say ten years ago, it wouldn't have been as easy, but yes, it is. It is possible to live off of that. It's um, it, big things like big productions. You, you, those are great, um, mm-hmm. but it's it's the regular gigs. Like if you know, if you ha- work for one company and you do a spot for them weekly, that is that's a nice regular paycheck. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, then you get a couple more of those. It's oh, hey, great! You know, I I always squirrel money away into savings because I uh, when I was laid off from my last job, I had been with the company for several years, and there was a nice severance package. So I decided I would like to have that nice of a cushion in case you know I a meteor falls out of the sky and hits me in the throat, and I can't talk anymore. So um, <laughs> that I would, I'd have to figure something out, but. Um, yeah, you can you can live off of off of uh, voice acting. Um, if you, for me, if I support it with some some advertising on the side, but eventually mm-hmm. I would like to get to the point where I could um, I could act full time and then I could just write for my own uh, pleasure on the side. So speaking of which, do you do you do any any work on the side that's for for you? For me, I I'm one of those guys that's been working on a book forever. I've actually started over from the very beginning. You know, it's uh, I have a friend who was also a copywriter. He and his wife actually uh, they both freelance now, and he's he and some former advertising colleagues they set up their own company. And he writes novels on the side. He's very successful at it, um, and um, that inspired me to start writing my own. And that was several years ago. And I keep I, I wrote about halfway into it, and I thought I wrote myself into a corner. So I kind of scrapped the whole thing, and I started over again. And you know, I write a chapter once every like five months, it seems. <laughs> did you Did you take any classes on on the creative writing standpoint? Oh yeah, um, you know, when when I was in school, it was a lot of creative writing classes. It, mm-hmm. In school of communication, because originally I was a film major, so everything okay. was was focused on, on creative writing and story structure and stuff like that. And then when I changed majors, then it was, okay, now it's writing for a purpose. And um, you know, a purpose other than, you know... Uh, Your artistic vision. Other, other than artistic vision. So it's like mm-hmm. I like to think of advertising as this interesting combination of be as creative as possible, but always remember it's, it's, it's for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when, I, you know, you would, when you would see, oh, gosh... Case in point, um, when the video game console, the PlayStation 3 launched, there were these really wildly creative advertisements, but then they didn't really sell the product. And, it, and uh, you know, as an avid video gamer, it, it, it kind of baffled me. I thought, oh, they did so well in the, the, the last, you know, the last two console launches. Like, what happened here? And I, it, it kind of backfired on them because the, the, the PS3 did have a miserable launch. It ended up doing well later, but that was, it was weird. Do you think that, you know, um, you know, what do you think is harder? Just the creative for artistic vision or for, I mean, like for me, it's, it's almost, 
easier for me to create something awesome whenever I've got the most restraints. So it's almost like that's kind of why I went towards design versus fine art was because just kind of having a, a blank open canvas is, is it's almost like you're, you get stuck writing yourself in the corners or um, writing chapters over and over again versus like, you know, whenever you have those, those um, deadlines and restraints and, you know, the creative briefs and whatnot, like for you, what is, what does that look like? Do you, do you find it easier to, to write for, for clients or to write for yourself? In a way, it's almost easier to write for clients. People used to ask me, you know, what do you, what do you like about advertising? And, and um, for me, it was always a puzzle. It's here's your creative brief. Here's what you need to say. Here's what we're limited to. Like, oh, you're limited to this really cheap budget, but we want to have like the most fabulous, you know, TV spot we can for this amount of money. And it was like, how do, how do you sell this? How do you tell the story? How do you communicate the emotional benefit of this product within this tiny little time frame? Mm-hmm. And, it's it, it's it, it was a challenge, but then it, it, that's the fun part. It's like, what? How can I mold this within the constraints that I have? Constraints, I think, really do force people to be more creative in a sense. Mm-hmm. Kind of like um, um, a, another nerd comparison: Star Wars. The original Star Wars, they didn't have that much money, so people got creative on how they made it. It's like, let's how do we make this robot? Let's go to a junkyard and scrap some stuff together and glue things to it. Uh-huh. Then you know. And when the prequels came out, George Lucas had oodles and oodles of cash. Oh, I'm just going to render everything out with the computer. And it, it, it kind of lost that that, um, that ingenuity, that, that really creative, restrained, creative soul to it, I think. Mm-hmm. Is there anything particular about your personality or um, your character that that led you to being a creative oh, and going gosh. into the creative industry. I mean, you're talking about ingenuity and, you know, not having a lot to work with. There are, are a couple of studies that say that creativity or, or profiling creatives and, and that some of the people that you find is the most creative, um, here are a couple of, 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 of common things that you'll find out about them. And there's a lot of... Uh, there's one that in particular that said that creatives come from some sort of hardship. There's something hap- that happened early on that made them kind of embrace creativity or maybe they, they you know, again, the ingenuity. Like, where do you think that that is? Is there anything about your personality that you could say that you had to tap into or that it was just kind of a, that your overriding characteristic drove you to it? Like, Well, um, I was... I was um a super pretendy kid. I really, I really pretended a lot. I was also really nerdy. So it's like I, you know, I had acquaintances, but I didn't have, you know, many really close friends. And um, so I, I, I spent a lot of time. Um, this sounds sad. This sounds like super sad. I spent a lot of time alone, but you know, not really, not like you know, you know little sad Charles Dickens alone. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I had a loving family. My, you know, my parents divorced when I was three, but it was, it was okay. But I was, I was, I was sort of introverted as a child. Um, mm-hmm. And I would just imagine a lot of stuff. I would, you know, imagine myself in situations. You know, we lived in Florida, and if we would go to Disney World and we went to Epcot Center, 
you go to the sea pavilion. I would like to pretend that, oh, I'm really in an undersea base. Now, you know, I knew that that's kind of the theme park, but it was fun to, to, to live that in my head. And mm-hmm. um, so I just, yeah, I just, I, I pretended a lot as a kid. You know, again, not, hey, I've got this imaginary friend that I'm talking to, and I think it's real and it's creepy because that, that wasn't me, <laughs> but I just, you know, it's like I, I, I pretended a lot, but I always, I always had that grounding in reality. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a kind of introverted, extroverted kid where, you know, I liked, I liked being in front, but then part of me also liked being, you know, was, was very reserved. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know which the, you know, the, the personality thing, the ESNPJ personality, whatever that thing is. Um, somewhere on there, it's the introvert, extrovert thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's almost like it's just kind of building a case for, you know, having an imagination with purpose. I will say that when I was a kid, I was also fascinated about why things worked. How did things work? Why, you know, why did this happen? Why was this? Mm -hmm. Why was that? I was a real questioner. And um, uh, when, oh gosh, when I was a little kid, I can't remember what it was. I saw some movie that my dad took us to see a movie, and it was a sci-fi film, and... um, um, and something in it scared me. And so instead of saying, instead of simply saying, oh, well, you know, it's just it's a movie, it's pretend, he found a book on special effects for, like, like children. And I read this book, and it fascinated me. And I was, I was, I, I, I suddenly wanted to know, how did this work? How did they make this building look like it was on fire? How did, mm-hmm. how did, you know, how did this, this monster, how did this guy fit into the monster suit? And I think that kind of launched this curiosity on how things were made and how things work. And it was always put into the framework of this is what we wanted to do and this is how we did it. And I think my brain kind of formulated, you know, this is what I wanted, this is what you want to do, and this is how you create that. You create within the constraints, the constraints of what you want to do. And maybe that was that formulated part in my childhood that said, Here's how you make stuff. Figure out what you want to do and then make it. So what do you do for inspiration? Well, for work now, I I listen to voices. I listen to animals. Um, if I hear – it drives my wife nuts. Like if I hear an interesting tone or a cadence on the TV, I'll immediately try to match it. Um, not, just mimic, <laughs> not just mimic the line. Not just mimic the line, but to actually speak in that voice. Um is the, the pitch in which they speak, uh, the, the tone, um, how would that voice emote? Uh, one thing that's interesting that I found is this also drives my wife nuts, is that emoting without speaking actual words. Can you get a tone? Can you, get, can you communicate a, a feeling or a question without using words, just gibberish of tone? Kind of like, the, kind of like that, the game The Sims, uh-huh. where they speak in all gibberish, but how can you, how can you communicate a feeling with just sound? And then, it's like Beaker from uh, Muppet Babies. Yes, so it's sort of like Beaker. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, which it, that's really difficult because you're just stuck with one word and, you know, uh, me. But, hey, I mean, you get that one word. <laughs> how can you use that and, uh, and communicate that? Oh, here's a good example. Uh, Pokemon. The same woman has been voicing the character Pikachu for almost 20 years now. So she's been acting as that character using one word, the, the, the name Pikachu, and the syllables of that word. And she's been able to communicate sadness and joy and curiosity and fear using one word. Mm-hmm. And 
So it's like just kind of like this challenge of storytelling that it seems to tie a lot of these together. It's kind of yeah. how can you communicate or just kind of almost transport like what you're this feeling and where do you see that taking you kind of down the road? Well, I really enjoy the work that I do now. It's it's There's a real fun about it. I, I kind of look at it this way. So when I was when I was copywriting and I would write copy for a commercial and then you mm-hmm. give it to you give it to a voice actor and they go in the booth and then they take your words which had some sort of emotion to it but then they add so much to it when they're to the delivery and the performance they they they're literally bringing those words to life mm-hmm. um, with their voice and I like the idea of being able to do that with people's words uh, myself mm-hmm. you know and it's um. I mean, you know, I have like, you know, everybody has, you know, their their professional goals. I would love to do, I would love to, my, my personal professional goal, I would love to voice a Disney or Pixar character. They they pretty much choose only celebrities, but then sometimes they'll get uh, an unknown person to, to be a character. For example, uh, Doug in Up was, I think he was like a concept artist or an animation director. He just, he was the scratch voice when they were editing the um, the film together and they just loved mm-hmm. the way he sounded. So he became the voice of that character. So I, I, I really enjoy what I'm doing now. I mean, I enjoyed advertising, but voice acting, there's, there's really, it's very collaborative between the writers and the creators and the, uh, and the person, you know, doing the, doing the voice. Have you thought of doing, writing yourself a script that you would voice act? Well, I need to get my book done first. That will be, you know, several years. <laughs> but, you know, if if, uh, if if that book was ever animated or anything, then, yeah, I could be fun to do. You could, you could just do that. You could pitch. <laughs> pitch the real. Maybe you, maybe you do a podcast where you tell a story. That was one of the old school radio shows. Oh, yeah. This is me trying to solve your problem. Um, so what are your hobbies? Well, I like, um, I like photography. I'm, you know, the amateur photographic enthusiast. My wife and I, we recently went on vacation and I came back with, oh my gosh, over 3,000 photographs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like hiking. I like, uh, I like going on trails, you know, nature trails, that type of thing. I like uh, I like games. I like tabletop games. I like video games as well. I, I, I like playing, essentially. So then what does your usual Saturday look like? Oh, gosh. Saturdays. I it kind of fly by the, by the seat of my pants. It's, uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes things are planned. You can plan something throughout the week. Um, but maybe it's, you know, what's the weather like? Well, oh, it's a nice day. Let's go. Let's go hike at the Audubon Center. Let's go count. Let's go count bunnies. Um, or... Um, my wife and I, we like going to antique malls. She'll look for certain things. I look for, again, I look for classic board games, like stuff that you can't find. Like, um, you know, wh- why would you want to buy an old Monopoly when you can go to a store and buy it? You, I like finding things that um, aren't made anymore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, that's, it, that's, that's tough to see. Maybe, maybe just go see a movie or, um, or, you know, my wife and I are going to, we're going to the Fort Worth Symphony this weekend, so. Um, it, it, it varies Saturday. Have you been to Curiosities yet? No, They've I don't. Got, what is that? It's a curious kind of antique store. What they have in it is very different than, like, let's say, uh, well, a lot of actually all the antique stores in, in Dallas right now are all kind of got a ton of personality. So it's over oh. in yeah oh. the Lakewood it's, area. It's, it's, it's near it's near where the yeah it's where the Lakewood Theater used to be, and it's um it's got like oh here's this taxidized hand and stuff like that in it. Yeah. It's very kind of Adams Family-ish. They've got some random board games in there that you might find interesting. You know, I 
I've, I've been there before. Um, yeah. I'll have to check it out again. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's like, there's like really, there's, um, there's like some really creepy stuff in there and, oh, it's a Beatle collection and, uh, that's from 1812 and things like that. Yeah, and like weird medical tools. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and letters and stuff like that. And then like, old, like just, and then like some really normal things. They've got big letters and stuff like that. But I've seen some really cool old games in there. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to check that out. <laughs> Sometimes, it's, it's, you know, it's, there are some antique malls that are like, oh, here's like a wooden, uh, a wooden baby with wings. You know, it's, uh, there, there are different types, but it's, you know, sometimes you find really, really fascinating things in the middle of all that. You know, it's, uh, it's, 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 it depends. Or you it's could just you take a little camera with you and record video of what, like, what the voice of the, crazy dolls would sound like. <laughs> yeah, it, it, all objects I can imagine would have some sort of voice. Oh, I'm never yeah. be in that store again, and now I don't know, put those ideas in my own head. I'm like, nope, not going there now. There's, there's, there's a new inspiration tool. Pick a random <laughs> object. What, is, what, is, what does its voice sound like? <laughs> hmm. That's a new exercise. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Your wife is going to kill me. I'm so sorry. Anyway, um... Creatives are, are described usually as being risk takers. What is the the biggest risk that you've taken? Well, it would have to be it would have to be the most recent one, the largest one. Like I said, I, I worked on the Hasbro business among other other you know uh, businesses for our agency as well. But our, our largest client was Hasbro, and after oh gosh, thirteen years working on that business, there was. Uh, uh, you know, new CMO comes in and says, "Hey, I'm bringing my own agency. You agency, I'm taking away." almost all of this business. So the part of the business I worked on is gone. And mm-hmm. so I got laid off. And I'd been doing voice work on the sides for, for years. And I thought to myself, with this severance cushion that I have for all that time, now is the time, it's, it's either now or never, I'm, I'm going to try to make go at voice acting full time. And I can mm-hmm. support it with, uh, with Ad Freelance. And that's what I did. And it's more than two years now, and things are great. I'm, I'm happier now, I think. So how would you what what would you do or what would you say to somebody that wants to do what you do? Oh gosh, in either in any creative line of work. If you're not being creative for yourself, you're being creative technically for someone else in a sense. Always prepare for rejection. Mm-hmm. Somebody is always there's always going to be somebody who is not going to like what you're doing. And that is a really rough thing to deal with. You know, if, if you write something or you really love this concept you came up to sell this to sell this thing. Look at this. It's great. It's well thought out. And the client's like, yeah, this is terrible. Um, and then, you know, they, they don't see all the work and all the thought you put behind it because and they just don't like it. And you have to live with that. And it's the first time it happens, it's a beatdown. And mm-hmm. um, then, you know, you just say, you know what? I always tell myself, this is not a bad idea. It's just not, it's not the right one for this project. And I would file it away and maybe I would bring it back to some other point in time. But it's the same thing with voice acting. You know, you audition and you don't get it. Um, when I first started, you know, I would I would read for a lot of stuff. I was still a little raw. I didn't have the experience that I have now. And I would never get a call back. I'm thinking, oh, my God, people hate me. They hate the way I sound. But you do not give up. You, you keep at it and you learn more. And you never never think of yourself as the best at what it is that you're doing because you can always learn and you can always improve. Mm-hmm. Um if you want to get into it, then you know you you work at it, and then you always always have an escape plan in a sense. Because I always again, 
if voice acting didn't work out, I would, you know, three years ago when I, when I was laid off and I said, I'm going to try for voice acting, mm-hmm. I always thought to myself, if it didn't work out, you know what, I'd say, hey, you know, I'll still do it on the side, but I'm going to go back and get a full-time advertising job. You know, I was always prepared for that, but I, I didn't have to. So, Do you um, think that that comes from the, that you're actually more more able to be kind of, to feel confidence in, in the scary part whenever you do have a backup, though? It's always been terrifying. Um, it, it, you feel comfortable having a backup, but you know, if there's, that's why I've been, you know, that's why I've been basically keeping a, an emergency, you know, nest egg cushion just in case, like I said, if I get hit by a meteor in the throat or, you know, it's, um, there's always a chance that things will go south. So you could kind of rest easy if you've kind of prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, uh. You don't put all your eggs in a basket, in one basket. It's, you know, when you, when American Idol is on the air and there's the kid, this is my only chance. Things are going to go terrible. If I don't make American Idol, I'm going to be a failure. I'm thinking, kid, this, <laughs> this is your one chance. Is that how you're going to go through life? Then you're not going to get anywhere. Um, you know, it's, it's always, yeah, always keep things open. Always, always have your possibilities and, and just, you know, just keep at it. What would someone that works with you describe as your biggest strength? Um, oh, gosh. Um, I have always been adaptable mm-hmm. in, a, in a collaborative sort of sense. Kind of like um, if somebody says, hey, um, can you make that rat monster a little bit sympathetic? I mean, you know, he is trying to kill you. He is trying to kill the player, but... We want the player to feel kind of sorry for him when he guns him down. So um, to be able to kind of tweak that bit by bit, I I kind of market myself as audible clay, where you know I I I, I provide the voice, and then the director or the writer or the client or whoever's whoever wants to whoever's directing it, if they say, "Can you make that just a smidge this way or that way?" I can do that. I can I can bend it just a little bit and then immediately read back to them and then they'll say, Oh, oh that's good. Now make it a little squeakier. And it's to be able to mold a voice bit by bit, I think is probably my best voice acting skill. Um, do you so, think yeah, that, yeah. that your success in, in voice acting is, is due to you know, being on the other side, like the person directing and writing and envisioning the the story? Uh, I do think that has helped me quite a bit. Um, simply because being being on the writing side, sometimes we would we would have a producer send us reads for a TV uh, a TV commercial video, something like two hundred reads, and out of like a professional courtesy, myself, I would listen to all of those reads. But um, sometimes people would just it's almost like they weren't even paying attention to the, the specs. I would be very, very specific, you know, here's how this should sound and try to make it like this. And sometimes there was just absolutely no effort. Sometimes mm-hmm. people would, wouldn't even read the script. They would they would kind of go off the script and kind of ad lib along the way. I'm thinking, what are you doing? This is not this is not what we need. And then from from the acting side, I kind of kind of took that and you, you always respect the person who's who's writing it because it's it's their copy. It is not mm-hmm. your job to change that unless they're asking for that. Right. You know, it's like when I'm when I'm going into the booth, it, sometimes you know I'll do a spot and the people will the writers and the producers will say, oh, that's, let's let's change this copy. How 
would we change this? I don't I don't volunteer any information because I'm I'm not there for that unless they ask me because it's it's not my place when I'm in the booth. It is not my place to rewrite somebody else's copy unless they ask for something ad lib because it's I, I want to respect the person who wrote it because they put mm-hmm. effort into it. And mm-hmm. I'm not gonna I'm there to mm-hmm. make, take their copy and make it work. Sometimes you know when you get client feedback. And clients, bless them, sometimes they just do not know how to explain what it is that they want. You know, they're, sometimes they're really, really left-brained, and they're mm-hmm. all about numbers. And they're like, yeah, I don't like the way that sounds. Can you make it sound different, friendlier, but more professional, and, you know, more casual, but more professional? And so, because I've had to deal with that a lot myself, I can sometimes give reads. I will adjust the reads to the way I believe the client means it's kind of like this, there's like this unwritten code in advertising. How does this sound? You know, um, can you bump up the, the brand name more, but don't make it sound like you're, you know, forcing the brand name? Mm-hmm. So I, I think this kind of thing is useless when you're doing like character stuff, but when you're, when you're doing radio commercials and you're selling things, coming from the, the writing aspect of knowing what I needed to kind of sell the product from the writing standpoint, I think it's helped me with how do I say that copy? Mm-hmm. So, this wouldn't be the Dallas type talk without a few Dallas questions. Okay. Um, why Dallas? Well, I originally came here from Tampa, Florida, and when Star Wars Episode One was coming out in 1998, I had a friend who used to live in Tampa, used to Tracy Locke, and he calls me and he says, hey, Pizza Hut needs a copywriter who really knows Star Wars, and I jumped at that. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so that's why I ended up in Dallas. And um, I stayed in Dallas because, you know, I went from writing on Pizza Hut and Pepsi to writing on Hasbro, which was great. And then it turns out uh, Funimation, the, the media company that they bring a lot of Japanese and Asian cartoons to the U.S. and they need dubbing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of game development happens here, and a lot of there are so many advertising agencies here, and they all need people to talk for them. They all need voices. So it's, it's a great place to do voice work as well. What's your favorite part of living here? I like Dallas because you know, the whole BFW area because there's there are big city amenities. You know, we have a great symphony, we've got an opera, we've got nice museums, we've got we've got all this stuff. We've got great food and you know, uh, state parks and stuff nearby. But it's not cramped. It's not you don't have that cramped. I'm cowering in the giant buildings like say in New York. I mean, New York is neat, but it's just it's, it's it's very crowded. It's hard to it's hard to breathe there. I think for me, mm-hmm. I, you know, some, there are some people like really creative people who thrive on that, that 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 big city life. But for me, it's like sometimes I just I need to be able to step back and walk and oh look, there's a bunny on this trail, and it's it's so peaceful. You know, it's there's I I need to I need that. Yeah, you don't have to like drive upstate to get to nature. It's like exactly. right there. Yeah, there's, there's there's a lot, a very short distance away here. Mhm. So interpret this as you will. What does tomorrow look like? What opportunities do you think there might be, or um, you know, even if you just want, it looks rainy and cold. What is it? Yeah, well, what does your well, tomorrow look like? Tomorrow, and you know, at the risk of sounding very Walt Disney, it's full of possibility. Um. <laughs> The uh, there are, you know, there's there's a voiceover project that I'm working on right now that it's the biggest thing that I've ever worked on. It's a it's a new video game coming out from the uh, uh, Gearbox, the local developer here. They've, I mean they've they're, they've made some they've made some huge selling AAA titles, and it's 
this new one coming out called Battleborn. I play several characters in it, and it's the, it's the largest project I've ever worked on. I've been working on it for two years. And um, some of the people in the previous games, uh, I, I've been supporting voices in their previous games. You know, like, oh, the man that you run into at the bar who complains about life under the, you know. And um, but this, I'm hoping that this is kind of like the springboard to, you know, even more um, opportunities in voice acting. So people go, hey, who... Who's the guy that voices Oscar Mike? Or who's who plays Isaac, that really angry robot that wants to murder everybody, but he sounds really nice? <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, I, I'm it's a really awesome project, and the people that work on it are like you know super cool, and it's just I'm proud of it, and I'm I'm thinking it it'll it'll make things it, it'll open up more possibilities definitely, and and technically, actually tomorrow, uh, my wife are going to the Fort my wife and I are going to the Fort Worth Symphony for the Pokemon Symphonic Evolutions concert that. It, it toured Japan, and they're bringing it here to the U.S. We are going to that tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> What's the last item on your bucket list? Oh, I think I've mentioned it before. On on my professional bucket list, I would love to be a Disney or Pixar character. You know, growing up in Florida, mm-hmm. um, I went to school in Orlando. Um, you know, they've always been they've always been like the pinnacle of animation and mm-hmm. and, and and telling stories. And and um, I would love to be a Disney character. I would love it. Okay, we're we're hitting the quick fire. Okay, the quick fire. Oh boy. All right. Favorite font. I like Eurostyle Bold Extended. I first saw it in two thousand one a Space Odyssey when I was a kid. It's people say it's overused maybe, but I think it's it's timelessly futuristic. We'll always be the future. <laughs> Favorite word. Um it sounds really Hallmark Cardi, but it would be Karen spelled with an I. That's my wife's name. The thing is is that as a writer I have so many favorite words, but this is the one word that when I see it, it just it just makes me happy because it makes me think of her. So yeah, it's sappy. But <laughs> it's appropriate, especially now that I gave you that new game. Um, <laughs> favorite color? That would be blue. Elvis or the Beatles? Uh, I would have to go with the Beatles. Um, I think you know Elvis is great, and you know I was I was born in Tennessee, um, but the Beatles. They had such a wider range of music style over their library. Describe yourself in five words. Be extroverted, introverted, curious, helpful, and verbose. Man, <laughs> I have a tendency to talk a lot. <laughs> Describe yourself in one word. Adaptable. Well, that's it. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for taking part. Um, do you have any final words or final shout out? Anybody listening, just be nice to each other, y'all, okay? Please. The interview you just heard is bookended by the track Blue Jay from the album Feathers by Blue Dot Sessions, which I borrowed from freemusicarchive.org and used under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial License. Thank you for listening to The Dallas Type. I'm Frances Soliana. 